Hi, I'm Dan Krinas from the Leader of Learning Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure to check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in three, two, one. To episode 76 of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning. And I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And in today's episode, we're going to do something just a little different than what we often do. A lot of times we focus an episode on a tool like docs or drawings or Casey, have we done an episode on slides? <laughs> no, never. Never, that's right. Or maybe like every episode. But um, <laughs> what we're going to do now uh, today is talk about a feature that is included in a lot of those different tools, and that is the webcam, like the, the webcam capture. And this is one of those features that where you can use it in a wide variety of activities you can do in the classroom. So we're going to dig into uh, real quickly into how it works and then lots of different ways you could use it in class. And of course, we've got Google News and updates. We've got feedback from our listeners and we've got some blog posts to share. So shall we get started, Casey? Let's do it. Okay, y'all, let's jump into Google News and Updates. I feel like we haven't had any news and updates for a while. We kind of had some, I think, special episodes where we weren't really able to fit those in. So we actually have something that you may have missed, but was so important that we wanted to make sure that we included it in today's episode. And it has to do with everybody's favorite Google Classroom. And, you know, the new Google Classroom is what I like to call it after the big updates that we got last year really um, has has sort of changed a, a lot over the, you know, the last several months, the last year, really. But there were a few things that teachers were begging for. And one of those was the ability to not only click and drag to move your posts and your assignments around on the classwork page, which we finally got, yes. But also, we now have the ability to move an announcement to the top. And so um, you can see that under your your little three dots, and you can actually move that to, to the very top. So you're not just clicking and dragging like when you have pages and pages <laughs> of different assignments <laughs> to get it up there. So fill your pain. Hopefully, everybody's enjoying this one, and this makes life a little bit easier for you. But don't be confused by the word any post. Um, this is actually only on the stream. So it is really more for announcements or um, it says any other posts to the top of the stream. So if you allow students to post to the stream, those should also have that. We're still crossing our fingers and hanging on until we get this ability in the classwork page. Yes, I think um, Twitter shook a little bit whenever this announcement came out because I saw lots and lots of happy posts about it. So yeah, that's that's definitely a good one. 
So the next thing we have to share with you is a a feature that has to do a translation. And of course, as Casey and I were figuring out who did which post, you know, anything that has to do with translating and languages and stuff like that usually comes to me uh, being the, the former high school Spanish teacher. And uh, so Google Assistant now has this feature that they call interpreter mode. And so in this in this post, this announcement from Google, they say that right now you can use it with your with your Google Home. And so basically what you do is you ask Google to be your interpreter or to help me speak Spanish or whatever language. It's got 26 different languages that you can use. And so what happens is it activates that mode and then you say something. And then it'll, it'll translate it in real time and it'll kick it back out through the speaker. And then it'll make a little noise, which says that it's done and now it's listening again so that you can, so that you can go and, um, you'll continue to continue to have things translated. And so with anything that has to do with translation, I'm always a little bit skeptical, like how good are the translations going to be? And, um, so just recently, I turned on my Google Home and I threw it three or four different random sentences and had it translate them into Spanish. And I was thinking, how would I translate these sentences exactly into Spanish? And as it was thinking, I was thinking too, and I came up with my own translations. And by golly, all of those sentences, it was like within a word of the way that I would have said it too. So I think that Google is finally getting a really good handle on its translation features, which tells me, and I know with my fellow world language teacher colleagues, this may not be very popular, but I think this is something that we have to account for in foreign language instruction now. Um, It doesn't mean that we don't continue to learn languages, but I don't think that we can continue to teach as if it doesn't exist because with this and... You know, there's other ones where you can have it in your ear and it'll translate immediately. Skype has had something where it'll translate conversations on the fly. I mean, it's only going to get better. And it's something that I think we have to account for whenever we teach languages. It's kind of awesome. I mean, just to think that, yeah. that uh, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, all of the tools we have at our disposal, we can now get such high quality interpretation and you know i just think back to any any foreign language experience that i've had in my life and how much i would have needed this i mean the the ability to to practice and engage and i, I just i just think it's it's a it's a great opportunity i'm interested to see yes. where this will eventually fit into the education space as well yeah yeah me too Okay, so let's move on. I want to share with you um, some very special news about the Google Innovator Academy. So we get so many questions about this and don't always have a lot of information, but they did release the dates and the locations for the Google Innovator 
Academy. So if you're not familiar with what in the world this is that I'm talking about, first of all, it used to be called back in the day, I feel like, <laughs> so, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like five years ago, it was called the Google Teacher Academy. That's what it was called when Matt and I met for the first time at our Google Teacher Academy. Yes. And so it has evolved into what's now called the Google Innovator Academy. It takes place on a Google campus, which makes it, you know, have a super cool vibe. Vibe, and you will have a room full of educators who are just passionate, not only about Google, but about um, affecting change in education. And they periodically release the academy dates as well as the application deadlines. So we've got some really cool locations on here. And, uh, you know, Matt and I attended the Google Teacher Academy in Austin, which I love mm -hmm. Austin, home state. I used to live in Austin. But I have to say, every time these are released, I kind of want to go through it again just to go to some of these locations. So mm -hmm. we've got Sydney, London, Tokyo, Singapore, New York, which is the only U.S. location on here, Stockholm, and Sao Paulo, Brazil. I'm sure I said it wrong, Matt. You nope, fix you got it. it. Fix you got it. it. Okay. It still sounds like pretty redneck when I say it. <laughs> <laughs> Bear with me, y'all. <laughs> so anyway, um, the Academy dates range from Sydney that starts in May to uh, Brazil, which which is in December. So lots of time still left on, on some of these um, to, to think about it and apply. Although if you're thinking about Sydney, the deadline is March 1st. So um, just keep that in mind. And if you've ever thought about this, of course, Matt and I both really love this experience and feel like it was a big change maker in our professional learning and careers and, you know, just love helping and seeing other people succeed and, and getting into these academies. So it is extremely competitive. Yes. Um, to to apply and be accepted. So it's a very high honor from Google. Yeah. And lots of really, really deserving educators. I mean, not everybody can can make it into the Innovator Academy. And so a lot of them will try two and three and four times to get in and then eventually they'll get in. And there is no shame in that at all. So if you're looking at uh, applying, you know, if, if that sounds like the kind of thing that you would want to do, I think both of us would encourage you to go ahead and give it a shot. And, um, you know, you actually do end up learning a lot through the application process too. So yeah, good experience all the way around. And the last piece of Google news and updates we have for you comes from Google Slides. Now, I saw this first through Alice Keeler's blog, uh, and she was she's the first one that I saw anyway that had pointed out this new feature in Google Slides. Now, this is a feature that's still rolling out. So if you're listening to this episode pretty soon after it was released, it may or may not be out yet. I haven't seen it on my accounts. But in Google Slides, there is a new menu called the Accessibility Menu. And so when you click on that tab, it takes a lot of the accessibility type features and puts them all into one menu tab. So you've got the speak option, you've got go to film strip, go to canvas, go to speaker notes, you know, just to make all of those functions quick and easy. And then comments and misspellings, formatting and settings. So all of these things all go in there. Again, I haven't totally seen it, but I really love the idea that they're pulling all of these accessibility features into one menu tab. So 
Again, this is still real early on. It probably, it may not have rolled out to your account yet. As of this recording, it still hasn't rolled out to mine. So I haven't seen it yet, but I think that this is a really good step in the right direction. Oh, yes. I can't wait. I don't have it either, but I, I can't wait to see this because this is is definitely something that tends to get overlooked or we forget about it. And there are so many students and teachers who can make use of, of some of these accessibility features. Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally agree. All right. So if you want to get the links to any of the things that we have just mentioned, be sure to go to our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 76. So, Tribe, today we get to talk about one of my favorite features in many of the Google tools, and that is the webcam. So the webcam is something, I mean, obviously a lot of our devices these days have webcams and so many of the Google tools allow us to take a live picture and immediately stick it right into the work that we're doing, whether it be in a document or a slide presentation or a drawing or whatever. And the more that I have used this, the more that I've seen that it can be used in such a wide variety of activities you know, just in, in so many different classes and grade levels and everything. And so um, if you're new to this, whenever you go to insert in a lot of the Google tools and you select image, you know, we always, well, or at least for, for me anyway, I used to always think of it as uploading something from the computer. And of course, you've got that option. You've got search the web. But if you go down to the bottom of the menu, now, of course, this is if you're working with like a laptop or a Chromebook, something like that, not a mobile device. Um, if you go down to the bottom of that image menu, you have the camera option. And so whenever you click on that button, it'll pop up a little window and it'll show you a live version of what's coming through your webcam. You got to make sure that you've given access to your camera for this to work. And if you happen to have another program open that's using the camera, it may not work until you close that down. And so it'll show you this live webcam and allow you to take a picture with it. And you don't even need a special camera. You know, if your Chromebook or laptop has a built-in webcam, then you can totally use that. And so all you do there is you just click the little camera button and it's going to snap a picture. And then if you want to take multiple, you know, multiple takes of that picture, just hit that button multiple times and it'll take a whole bunch of pictures. And then as soon as you're done, you pick the one that you want and you hit the insert button and it sticks it right into your slide or your document or whatever you're working on. So it works this way, like I was saying, on a laptop or on a Chromebook. Now, if you've got a mobile device like a cell phone or an iPad, it's it's usually just easier to use the camera app within that. And you take those pictures and then you just insert them into your work. So, um, But for all of the classes that have laptops and Chromebooks, um, this is a really pretty cool feature. And um, I know Casey and I have both uh, written about and talked about so many different ways that you can like mark up pictures and do different things with these these webcam pictures, right? Yes. So we have um, so many different ideas. I think, Matt, this probably could have been another series of yeah, episodes. Um, in fact, I think we have more in the show notes than we'll probably have time to get to on the podcast today. So be sure um, that you come back to those. But one of the first things that comes to mind when I think of this is the struggle that I hear from so many math teachers 
that they struggle with using technology, you know, the, the special character things and trying to get kids to work through their problems just isn't quite as practical or necessarily preparing them for the types of tests and things that they have to take. So, uh, you know, a lot of math teachers are still having students work out problems on pencil and paper. And, you know, I think one of the best things that I ever learned was, hey, you know what? You can still turn that into a digital format. Take a picture of it, right? So a lot of math teachers will have their students just, you know, open the webcam and take a quick shot of whatever it is that they're working on so their work can be captured digitally. And what's great about that is if they're still working, they can keep working, but they that can also be like a check for understanding that the teacher can kind of see what's going on. So I've seen lots of different ways to do this, and I think there's many creative ways, but I felt like that was one of the ones that I wanted to be sure to mention just because that's a question I get from so many math teachers. I don't know about you, Matt, but like that's, you know, like, how do I use this in math? How does this, you know, like, how can Mm -hmm. we make this work? And so sometimes, yes, we still we still have some some ways that we need to do things on pen and paper. So whether that's math or something else, too. Right. Um, There's so many things that kids are doing that we could just take a picture and that can be put into the project itself or even turned in with their assignment on Google Classroom, which can be really easy to do to attach it there as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes just using technology to streamline our work, to make it easier to turn in and to grade and to process you know, that, that in and of itself sometimes can make the technology worthwhile. You know, we're obviously not looking for ways to just digitize the same old thing that we've always been doing. But in this case, if we're able to get that work into the Google Classroom workflow and it makes our lives easier and faster by dealing with it that way, then, you know, obviously that's, that's a definite improvement. And then the other neat thing about this too is that you can, of course, take that picture of that math problem or that group of math problems, and then annotate and mark it up within Google Drawings or Google Slides or wherever by putting lines and text and shapes and a variety of different things over the top of that image. So you can even annotate on top of it too, which which again takes it to to another level. So yeah, I think that that, that that's a brilliant way to to use that is to um, is to pull some of those math problems in and then either just turn them in or be able to do something with them. So another way that we can do this, let's start real simple here with or at least the first one that I'll share. Well, I'll start real simple. And that is just doing some basic student reflection. You know, whenever um, students learn something new, sometimes they have things that they struggle with. Sometimes they think, oh, wow, that was really easy. Uh, sometimes they have opinions about what they think about it and how it changes their perspective on how they see things. And so giving them an opportunity to reflect like that is, is a good idea. And what I love about using the webcam, and again, with this, you can just take a picture and stick it into a Google drawing or stick it into a Google Slides presentation. I think either way this would work. Have students take just a selfie picture of themselves and stick it into, I'm going to use drawings for this example, stick it into a Google drawing. And then from there, you can use the insert shapes. And so the, you know, the shapes button is like that little circle and square icon in your toolbar. And so if you insert a shape 
Within the shapes, there's this thing called callouts that has speech bubbles and thought bubbles. And so sticking some of those in next to the student's head to say what the student would say or what the student would think gives them an opportunity to do some of that reflection, to think about what they're struggling with, to give you a little bit of feedback on on how they're thinking. And so, of course, one way to do that is to stick that in a, a Google drawing and just turn it in through Google Classroom. However, Another way to do it is to take that, take a Google Slides presentation. And I know this is something we've talked about several times on the podcast. You take a Google Slides presentation and make one slide for each student. And then you use the share button and you share that slide presentation out as an anyone with the link can edit. And so, um, of course, if you're doing this through uh, Google Classroom, you just make an assignment, attach that slide presentation to it, and then use the drop down that says, uh, students can edit. And so once they get in there, they can stick their picture on there and then add all their little uh, call outs, their little speech bubbles and thought bubbles. And then you can see everybody's thoughts and everybody, everybody's sayings and everything all in one spot if each student has a slide. I love that. I think that's a, a great idea to check for understanding, to also reach into that social emotional thing that we um, seem to be talking so much about these days and, and being able to get students to, you know, share their not only just their reflections and their learning, but also how they feel about their learning, too, I think could be part of that. I want to go advanced now, switch gears a little bit and talk about stop motion animation, which um, we have a great link in here to a blog post by someone that I think is on this podcast has mm-hmm. shared this. So, um, but, you know, we, we talk about stop motion animation a lot and how easy it is to do it in Google Slides. And this is something that you can do with... Um, you know, with clip art and with other things too. But when we're talking about the idea of bringing the webcam into it, it really gives us some interesting options. So, you know, if you're, if you're not familiar with the idea of stop motion animation, I, my brain still tends to think of like claymation cartoons as, as, as sort of Mm -hmm. like how I, how I understood how they were made. Mm -hmm. Of course, um, you know, a lot of things now are completely digital, but if you go old school, they used to actually take a picture, you know, of every scene and just move the characters just a little bit, take a picture, move it, move it, take a picture. And so it, it was actually a very long and tedious process, but students can create these and they don't have to be complicated at all. So it could be um, in terms of, of what they're creating, they could be using Legos because, you know, they're going to jump all over that Mm -hmm. and, you know, setting up a scene, telling a story. So this stop motion animation could be part of a digital story um, that they're telling. And of course, you know, set up, set up the scene, whether you're using Legos, you're using people, (laughs) you're using your face, and then you load up that slide deck with all of those pictures in that order. And so what you do is you use the publish to the web trick and you go to file publish to the web and you want to make sure that you choose how quickly you want it to progress. That That's going to make all the difference in the world. And so so when you go to file publish to the web, you will 
of course, need to click publish. But under the where it says link, you can have it auto advance the slides and you want to choose most likely every second because you want it to move quickly so that it really looks like it's moving. If you go too slow, it's just going to look like a series of pictures that it really is. But you will just see those subtle things begin to move and then you get a special link. So once you publish it, you get that published link. You open that in a new tab and you can see your stop motion come to life. Mm -hmm. This is, this is such a cool thing. And, you know, I, one of the things I love about this is that it allows students to envision something in motion and then put it on the screen and you don't have to have any sort of fancy animation software. You don't have to have any sophisticated hardware. You just do it in Google Slides. And this is really such a, a fun way to do it. So the last one we're going to share, it has to do with an activity that that I uh, developed with a teacher in Missouri named Laura Steinbrink. And it's something that we like to call caption this. <laughs> I'm sure we're probably not the first ones to ever do this, but we did co co-author a blog post together. So you we invented do. the internet, didn't you? I did. That's right. I never <laughs> told you, but I, I really did. Dang, I thought it was Al Gore all along. It was me and Al Gore. You know, we, we both, I think I was a little kid when he, yeah, this is, this is going off the wheels a little bit. Um, <laughs> so anyway, Laura and I um, talked about this, this cool activity that um, you, you can definitely do with the webcam. And so the idea behind it is that you can either pull in an image from the webcam or you can, of course, upload an image or search for one online. And you start to put in speech and thought bubbles for who the what the people in the image would say. So for instance, um, you know, one of Laura's examples, uh, she, she teaches about Lord of the Rings. And so she has pictures of some of those characters and then we'll have students add a a speech bubble or a thought bubble saying what that person would say. Now you could do this with the webcam and have students pose as those characters or maybe even dress up as those characters. And then they add the speech bubbles and the thought bubbles. And this sounds kind of like, you know, silliness, like, you know, are, are kids really getting anything out of this? But I really believe that this is a real easy way to move up the critical thinking scale. You know, if you're using Webb's depth of knowledge to, to measure critical thinking, um, having someone, you know, changing the perspective, having students speak for one of the characters basically bumps it up to what would be level two of Webb's depth of knowledge. And then we have them justify their response and explain why it is that they think that that person would say that. And by doing that, I think that even could bump it up to level three of Webb's depth of knowledge. So this is one of those fun things where kids really can have a good time uh, c coming up with what someone would say and then justifying their thinking. And of course, if they're using the picture from the webcam, then the students are the stars of the activity, which is so much fun, too. I love this. I feel the language arts teacher in me coming alive right now because this is such a great activity for for language arts. And, you know, so often I remember teaching, you know, with reading and writing, but to have them retell a story in their own words, first of all, which this is forcing them to do. But also when you're teaching, um, you know, the different points of view in a story, this is a fabulous way to teach point of view. And I'm going to I'm going to go off off 
off the rails for just a second because <laughs> we also talk about doing comic strips all the time in Google Slides. Oh, and yeah. Kids could be the stars of their comic strips as well. So, um, yeah, we're going to have to add that into the notes real quick. But the, you know, whether you're doing comic strips in Google Drawings or inside slides, which they both would be very easy to do. But instead of looking for, you know, the emojis or bitmojis or the, the clip art type of, you know, hey, let the kids be the star in their own comic strip, or maybe they're bringing in other things to be, to be into inside the picture or other people as well. So um, I think these are all really fun ideas and definitely helping us to get kids thinking about the things that they're learning and creating along the way. Yes, definitely, definitely. So if you want to check out some links to those and some further descriptions, you can go to our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 76. There's a letter in your mailbox. Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've got mail. Let's jump into the mailbag and see what we got from the tribe here. And we have a very interesting question from Audra Arman Richardson. She is from Nevada and she is asking the very hot topic here. What are we doing about Google Plus? Yeah. So um, she asks, you know, what do you recommend as a replacement? We have 20 plus schools throughout our state that share and communicate using this platform. And we're not sure what to migrate to. And so that's very interesting. And and I'm actually very impressed. I haven't seen um, it used at such a large scale. And I'm guessing you're probably using the communities feature, which is still uh, has always been my favorite feature of Google+. Plus. But um, if you didn't know, Google Plus as a consumer product is going away. So um, it actually will die and have its last breath, I think, sometime in April. So beyond that, Google has said that it will be available within your domain, meaning you could use it within your school district. Of course, that doesn't help Audra because they're using it across the state. And many of us are part of various communities that have been fabulous resources for us, and we're having to find new homes. So, for instance, the Google Connected Classrooms community, which is one of my favorites, um, I popped in there the other day because I talk about it and share it all the time, and everybody's like, Casey, where's it going to go? So I asked and they have set up a couple of different options. So there is a Facebook group that has, has sort of taken over as well as a Google group. So um, I don't think we have one magic solution because I think what was great in terms of this was they were probably using their school accounts and everybody could connect and nothing was filtered or blocked. And of course, if we moved to Facebook, not everybody can use Facebook at school and not everybody likes Facebook, et cetera. So there's so many, so many sort of pros and cons to everything. Um, Google Groups, I think, is is a good place to go. It's not as visual. And so I don't think you get as much interaction with it because you don't really see sort of those visual posts in a in a feed like you do with um Google Plus. So um, it, it's really, um, if you've never used Google Groups, it's groups.google.com. It is a discussion board application. And so it is another option. Actually, I want to put this out to the tribe. I want to know if you have been faithful Google Plus users and you have some communities there, 
what are you moving to? So if you can share that with us, um, leave us a, a voice message on googleteachertribe.com and, and just share with us where you might be migrating your communities to. Yeah, I'm fascinated to hear about that as well. Um, now, speaking of throwing things out to the tribe, since you mentioned that, Casey, um, we have gotten a flood of messages and emails and different things about a question that was asked to us Um this was from a few episodes back when uh, someone was asking about sending responses in Google Forms to different sheets. And so, you know, was there a way to do that? And Casey and I, we love our Google and we, we love a lot of different things related to it, but coding things in sheets is not the forte of either of us. So, um, so we threw this out to the tribe and looking down through here, Danny Contopoulos and Caroline Goodman and Linda Hummer and Ryan Bradford and Jake French and Mary Carnes <laughs> all gave us some different ideas. And so we put all of those into the show notes. So if you're interested in this, if you want to up your skills when it comes to forms and sheets, or if you're just curious to see all of these different solutions, you can head over to the show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 76. Last thing, when it comes to the mailbag, this comes to us from Mike Brilla, who is an eighth grade social studies teacher in Pennsylvania. Since we've been talking about app smashes recently, Mike shared a pretty cool one with us. So go ahead and take it away, Mike. Hey there, Matt and Casey. My name is Mike Brill, and I teach 8th grade social studies in Pennsylvania. I know you love apps passing and creating a simpler workflow for students and teachers, so I thought I'd share a tip that has made my grading and feedback much simpler. We're a Google school, so my students do everything on Google Classroom. Uh, in order to grade assignments and provide meaningful feedback, I've been using the Doctopus add-on in addition with Gubrix, something I'm pretty sure you're familiar with, Google Sheets. However, as someone that is a self-proclaimed organizational train wreck, I had a hard time keeping track of Sheets that I used to grade the work that the students created. So started using Google Keep to keep track of everything. Now, once I create the Google Sheet and use the add-on uh, I'm going to use for, to evaluate my students' work, I simply use the Google Keep extension on my Chrome browser and add links to a label I call Things to Grade. Now, everything I need is in one place. Um, the links are right there. I can simply delete the note on Google Keep when I'm done, and it's done in a timely manner. So hopefully you and your listeners can can use this tip and it simplifies and makes your lives much easier too. All right. This is pretty cool. And look at all of the moving pieces in this. He uses Google Classroom, Doctopus, Gubrick, Sheets, and Google Keep. And I love the fact that he organizes all of this together in that label in uh, Google Keep, which of course you could do with a hashtag or you could just add it just as a regular label. So um, Mike also was very generous to agree to record a screencast of this so that you can watch it in motion. So if you're interested in learning a little bit more about how Mike does this, definitely go over to our show notes and you can click on that uh, link to the screencast and you'll be able to watch him walk through that. And so again, that's at googleteachertribe.com slash 76. We are going to share a couple of quick blog posts and then we're going to be done with this episode. So the one that I wanted to share is one that comes from the Ditch That Textbook blog and it's called One Story, Many Endings, a fun, creative Google Slides activity. 
And this harkens back to the old choose your own adventure stories. So this is one where you have, you read for a little bit and you have two different options and you get to choose which way the character goes. And in the traditional choose your own adventure stories, you would have multiple different directions you could go and have lots and lots of different endings. So the idea behind this one is kind of a mashup between a choose your own adventure story and a story that you're actually studying in class. So of course that could be, you know, like a a story in literature, language arts. It could be a historical story. It could even be something from current events. And you have the one storyline that goes through the whole thing. This is the story as it was written, as it's supposed to be. But What we do is we add all of these different little alternate endings that branch off. So as the characters have different decisions to make all throughout, you can say, do they do this thing, which they actually do in the story, or do they do this other thing, which is an alternate ending to it? And we use the um, go-to-page based on response. You know, so it's it's those links where you can link to another slide in a in a Google Slides presentation. And so this, this activity allows students to make up a whole bunch of alternative endings so that if you wanted to know, for instance, if it was, you know, Harry Potter and what if Hermione had taken all of her um, magical abilities and had used them for evil instead of for good, what would that have looked like? And so it gives them an opportunity to kind of play and invent within the story that they just learned. So lots and lots of um, step-by-steps and how-tos to make that happen in this blog post. Fabulous. You know, I love me some Google Slides activities. Always, always love thinking of all the fabulous ways that we can use that. And that linking between slides is just sort of one of those game changers. Yes, Okay, I have several resources to share with you. So I wanted to be sure to share some free resources that I have to help you become a Google Certified Educator. And I have two brand new downloads, and they are called the Toolkit. So there's the Level 1 Toolkit, and there is the Level 2 Toolkit. And what I've done is I've taken all of the downloads that I have for these, because over the years I've just built so many resources that people are having to go to different pages to download different things. So I wanted you to be able to get this all in one. So in level one, you get the complete guide to Google certifications ebook to help you understand all of your options. You also get the Google certified educator capacity matrix, which is a list of the knowledge and skills that you need to pass that test and the how to pass the Google certified educator exams ebook, which is all about the exam itself and tips and all kinds of things. So you can get that all in one download and level two, a little bit different. The level two toolkit also has three and three downloads in one that you can get. And this one's going to have the level two capacity matrix the level two challenge tasks, which are designed to mimic the tasks that you have to do on the exam, as well as that how to pass the Google Certified Educator Exams ebook. So if you're looking for help on level one or level two, I got you covered. And there are two brand new um, resource pages with all of my level one resources and level two resources that is all linked in the show notes for you, as well as Matt's blog post. So if you want to get all of these, you can go to googleteachertribe.com slash 76.
Well, that wraps up another episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. We hope you enjoyed all of these ideas for using the webcam and inserting those images into some fabulous projects for your students, as well as catching up with Google and finding out what's been happening on the blogs. And thank you so much to everyone who contributes, who asks questions and shares tips and ideas. Keep those coming. And as always, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and be sure that you leave us a review and let us know what you think. So that's how we can help more teachers find the tribe. Yes, absolutely. So we will see you on the next episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and by visiting googleteachertribe.com. Get in on the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTTribe. Until next time, keep harnessing the G Suite power, and may the Googles be with you. sure you weren't a transcriptionist in your former life right (laughs) (laughs) i know i just listen it just comes flying out of my fingers so i just go with it you know ready to close yes ma'am it's like we're surgeons i know that's right (laughs) (laughs) doctor will you close please (laughs) what do i need to close i don't know scalpel's not to close that's to open (laughs) i don't know what you asked for yeah suture you need sutures yeah that's it you close. That's what I say. Yeah, I yeah. delegate. <laughs> they they right. don't want us to touch sutures. Anymore.